Hey folks, this is Derek Wetmore of the Touch 'Em All podcast. Quick note before we get started. Phil and I recorded this episode on Skype. We were using a Skype recorder we hadn't played around with yet. The audio's pretty tricky. It's honestly not up to our standard quality, but we still wanted to publish this episode so we could give you something before the winter meetings get going. Sorry in advance for the audio quality here. It's good enough to be listenable, we think. If it's not, send us a note. We'll have this all fixed in time for Sunday's winter meetings. Thanks for listening, and here's the episode. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, everyone. Welcome to uh, sort of an emergency episode of the Touch Em All podcast. Even though we were due to do an episode this week anyways, uh, we were going to maybe even wait until the winter meetings began this weekend and hammer a few episodes when the action was uh, really up and running. But uh, a couple things happened, Derek Wetmore, over the past 24 to 48 hours. Uh, Shohei Otani has picked a team, and it's the Los Angeles Angels. And before he picked a team, the Twins... Uh, made a couple really shrewd trades on Wednesday night by taking advantage of the Shohei Otani uh, bidding war going on, uh, for sure between the uh, the Mariners and the Angels. So, uh, what were you? Let me just throw it out there. What were your thoughts on the Twins taking the three million dollars left in their international spending pool, money that was meant for Shohei Otani, and then after being rejected by Shohei Otani? Uh, and instead of lighting that money on fire or maybe signing a 16-year-old crapshoot from the Dominican or Venezuela, they traded a million dollars to the Angels and a million dollars to the Mariners for a 19-year-old outfielder named Jacob Pearson, third-round pick by the Angels last year, and 21-year-old catcher David Banuelos, who was a fifth-round pick from the Mariners. They took advantage of those teams being excited about Otani, and uh, they wind up with a couple really good 2017 draft picks. Yeah, well, I think they no doubt helped the Angels get Otani because I'm curious to see how the coverage all unfolds and, like, what was important to him, what went into it. I believe his agency just issued a brief statement saying, you know, we're excited to pick the Angels and, and sort of here's why. But I think we're going to see some layers to this thing and maybe learn more about the recruitment process, too, over the next weeks and months as they unfold. Um, I guess a quick side note, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow the Angels with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and figure out how they're going to work him in. Is he going to be you know, their ace? How often is he going to DH? Will he ever play in the field, or is he just going to be a pitcher-hitter? Um, but just to wrap it up, too, on the international money, good for the Twins for using some Monopoly money and getting a couple of real prospects. We're probably in their top 25, I would guess, and... Uh, um, I also think that they have some money left over, Phil, and they should still take a shot on one of those lottery tickets. You called it a crapshoot. Well, I think you got to be in that business. Um, I think that you still try to spend some of that money on one of the guys left on the international free agent market because otherwise that signing bonus cap space just goes away, you know, on when the calendar refreshes next july 2nd so good for them to get a couple of prospects who will help fill out the organization maybe bubble up to the big leagues take advantage of two teams angling to try to get the most money for otani but secondly still got a little bit of money left and 
why not buy one of those lottery tickets when there aren't going to be very many teams left in that bidding? Exactly. And uh, I'll just add to that, too, that I think stockpiling assets, and in this, pay, in, in this case prospects, I think it's really important, especially for those mid- and smaller market teams, and the Twins would fall into that category because well, there's, there's two main reasons. Number one, you just want a good pipeline of young, cost-controlled players coming up through your system that you can use as as you know talent on your roster. You, you, you want those guys like Miguel Sano and Byron Buxton that you didn't have to pay $100 million for in free agency. You want those guys... As, as your centerpieces while they're making $500,000 or maybe they're in their arbitration year. So that's number one reason why you want a good pipeline or a cupboard full of young prospects and, and quality assets. And number two, and this is, the, this is the part that people maybe don't think enough about, when it comes down to whether it's at the winter meetings next week or whether it's in the weeks leading up to the July 31st trade deadline, the more assets you have in your farm system and the more stocked full your cupboards are, the more comfortable you feel, Derek, trading those players for legitimate in-their-prime starting pitchers or yeah. a big thumper that you can put in the middle of your order. If all of a sudden your viable list of prospects is 20 guys deep instead of 8 guys deep, you don't feel quite as bad when you have to pull the trigger trading three of them for Garrett Cole or Chris Archer down the road. Yeah, well, put it this way, I read somewhere that this Pearson kid might have been in the Angels' top ten prospects, and uh, is it Ban Banuelos, Banuelos? He might have been in the Mariners' top ten prospects. But I don't think either of those guys cracks the Twins' top 15, and you could make the case that they're outside the top 20 just when you start looking down the list of talent coming up through the twin system so people hear and they think oh they got a top five prospect or a, oh they got a top 10 prospect from the mariners well no it's all relative they got a decent prospect like a i mean fringy prospect and he just happens to slot higher in his former organization than he does in his current one with the twins that bodes really well for a team that's possibly either going to load up and make a deal this winter or maybe you could see them wait until July to to sign or to uh, to swing a trade, but I guess the overall point is that the deeper and deeper that system is, the less and less you're going to notice trading your number five prospect or your number ten prospect, because all of a sudden your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh prospect, well, those are guys that would be in every organization's top ten. And I'm not saying the Twins have the deepest farm system, far from it, but it's deeper than the ones that they just traded. For and it allows that sort of that sort of prospect depth allows you to make some of those trades. So I think there are going to be some people that um, I don't I don't think are criticizing the twins, but there are going to be some people who say the twins don't have super high end talent at the top of their farm system. And I think I tend to agree with that, but it's still important to remember that even super high-end talent doesn't always materialize, and sometimes that sort of like mid-tier prospect turns into a really productive big leaguer. So it's a numbers game, and I think that the Twins are doing well to play that numbers game. Yeah, and in fairness to the Twins, they they had some super high-end talent at the top of their sure. prospect pipeline, but those those players have graduated to become successful big leaguers now. Like Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, uh, Max Kepler, and Jose Barrios were in their top five for a number of years, and all all four of them are having success in the big leagues. And I'll just I'll put uh, one more layer to this conversation about assets and 
and building out that cupboard full of of good young coveted players. I think a lot of people were wondering back in the June draft if you're choosing between Hunter Green and Royce Lewis, if we could do some twins myth busting here. If your if your organization needs pitching, you know why would you pass on on Hunter Green who throws 100 miles an hour? Well, uh, or or are the twins being cheap because because Royce Lewis signed for less money than than Hunter Green? Well, number one for for myth busting, the twins and I saw this a million times on Twitter even the other night. Uh, I, I don't know why it keeps coming up. It's a different front office now. They spent more money in the draft than any team in baseball. Now, yes, they also had more money to spend in the slotting system because they were the worst team in the league two years ago, but they spent more money than any other team. And number two, for the people saying, you already have a shortstop in your organization. In fact, you have two of them. you got Jorge Polanco and you got Nick Gordon. Why would you put Royce Lewis uh, into that pipeline as well when you already have a shortage of, of starting pitching and a surplus of shortstops? I don't look at it just in terms of the depth chart in the major leagues. I look at it and say, if I need to swing a trade for Chris Archer at some point or name your A starting pitcher, it's really nice to have three coveted, viable shortstops or shortstop prospects in your pipeline when you're going to make that trade. Um, so like it, by having Royce Lewis in your system, it makes it a lot easier to trade Nick Gordon at some point this winter or next year if you so choose to. Yeah, or Jorge Polanco right now, or put this in context of 2009 when the Twins signed Jorge Polanco with international signing bonus slot money. Well, you could have argued the Twins have a nice young shortstop coming up through the ranks in Brian Dozier, and how could you, you know, why would you sign a shortstop? Well, it turns out Dozier didn't cut it at shortstop in the big leagues, and he's turned into a great second baseman. I think that same thing's going to happen with Polanco, Phil. That's probably a podcast for another day, but I can't think of a time since I've been following baseball closely that a fan base has been um, annoyed or distraught by the fact that they're piling up too many shortstops. So it's a good problem to have. I guess I I don't think we're going to disagree on that, but... Um, if if teams want to trade for a good young shortstop, boom, you've got them loaded up. Or, hey, maybe this guy's not quite good enough to cut it in the big leagues at shortstop. All right, sounds good. He can play second base or he can play third base or, heck, the Mariners are moving D. Gordon out to center field. So there's something you can do in basically every situation and loading up on, on prospects in the draft, well, Loading up and up the middle prospects, catcher, shortstop, center field in the draft is a good thing to do. But more to the point of this conversation, loading up on any good prospects, despite what your major league team looks like, is uh, it's a net win for every team, especially like a mid-market or a small-market team who's going to rely on some trades to supplement the major league roster to win. Right. Let's do this here. Let's uh, let's come back in just a second. I know last week you gave us a list of potential reliever trade targets that the Twins may be wise to explore here. Let's get your thoughts as we head into the winter meetings on which free agent pitchers the Twins could look at in the bullpen and maybe even guys who could wind up closing games. Sure. And uh, and also to go along with that, Thad Levine was on the Scoop podcast earlier this week and he said something that validates what you and I have been saying for a number of weeks here on the podcast, but I want to tell our loyal listeners of the Touch Mall podcast about the car dealership and service department that my family and I have been going to for 30 plus years. 
Luther Brookdale Toyota, which in the Twin Cities here is right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. And they have an event going on right now called Toyotathon, which is their biggest event of the year, right in time for the holidays. If you're looking to make a big splash and uh, maybe maybe even just buy a car or lease a car for somebody in your family, uh, they've got 2018 models all over the place. 0% financing on 15 different models. You can get into a brand new 2018 Camry for just $189 a month. And we're talking about upgraded technology on the interior, safety features, sleek new exterior. You can get into a brand new RAV4, 2018 RAV4, for just $199 a month. So stop in and say hi to uh, our friends at Luther Brookdale Toyota in that showroom area. If you ask for Paula or Tony or Badu or pretty much anybody else, uh, and, and tell them Phil Mackey sent you. They will hopefully not punch you in the face for saying my name. Hopefully it will be the opposite, that they'll give you a big hug, and uh, and they'll show you around. So Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. All right, so uh, I'm just going to paraphrase something for you, Derek, that Thad Levine said on Doogie's yeah. Scoop podcast earlier this week. People can go listen to the, the whole thing. Go download the Scoop podcast. By the way, before you get to it, is Thad Levine an official co-host of the Scoop Podcast now, or is it more of an unofficial arrangement? Uh, it's a rotate. It's rotating co-hosts, Thad Levine and Jamal Crawford, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good mix. Yeah. So Doogie, Doogie asked Thad, is it more likely that you guys would make a trade for pitching or that you would sign a free agent? And he said his answer was great. It was candid. I mean, he's not going to you know show all of his cards, but I love how open he is compared to some other executives in sports. He said, in in a perfect world, we would much rather we would much rather spend money than prospects on improving our pitching. You know, yeah. in terms of in terms of currency, he's I think he used the word currency like you and I do too. Uh, he must listen to the Touch 'Em All podcast quite clearly. Right. Right. He'd he'd rather spend money as a currency to bring pitching into the organization than you know trade a valuable young prospect and Nick Gordon or somebody to to bring it in. But it's possible that money as a currency will just be too much to spend when there's a bidding war, and that trading makes more sense. And so they're going to feel it out once they get to Orlando this week. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting winter meeting for the Twins, and I guess you could say that each of the past few years. But in this case. Falvey and Levine have basically a full year, uh, you know, more than a full year now under their belts in their current positions. They know the organization inside and out. They've started to build out their own uh, sort of vision of the organization, doing a whole bunch of hiring and firing kind of kind of behind the scenes. I guess a lot of it's been covered, but you don't hear about it as much. There's, there's not a podcast dedicated to covering the twin search of you know, baseball analytics department or, you know, finding a new minor league pitching coordinator. We talk about it sometimes. So we spend a lot more time talking about Shohei Otani and Miguel Sano and trade targets and stuff like that. But after a full year of sort of assessing what they have and don't have, Falvey and Levine have been pretty aggressive, um, you know, putting their own people in place. And now they go to the winter meetings with, I think, Plenty of payroll flexibility, plenty of decent prospects to potentially involve in trade conversations, and a legitimate aspiration to win and make the playoffs again after winning 85 games and going last year. So uh, last year was fascinating because, like, oh, new guys, what are they going to do? Clearly this team needs a lot of help. Now it's interesting because, okay, we think we started to get a feel for these guys a little bit. Still don't know how much of a gunslinger they're going to be. 
But now this team's in position to win, and I think you owe it to yourself to be a little more aggressive this winter. And it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to follow up on it. But I guess I'd be surprised if the Twins don't make some kind of a splash, either in free agency or a trade, to improve their pitching staff this winter. Yeah, I'm with you. I I can't tell if it's going to happen this week because everything's been pretty slow moving. But it is interesting, the the couple moves that have have trickled in here, even uh, aside from Shohei Otani, like Mike Miner, right? Yeah, Mike Miner. He signed yep. uh, a three-year, $28 million contract. after a, He missed two seasons with surgery and came back, was a reliever with the Royals, and that was good enough for uh, for, uh, for him to get three years and $28 million. And So if, if you're wondering what's it going to cost for a really good seventh or eighth inning guy or just you know somebody trustworthy to put in, uh, in the back end of your bullpen that can miss some bats, we're talking about probably eight to nine to ten million dollars a year, and that doesn't even get to the Wade Davis level of the reliever uh, ladder. So uh, that's a good segue to, for for you maybe to throw some names out there that might yeah. be realistic for the Twins to uh, to add some legitimacy and some swings and misses to the back of their bullpen. For sure, I I should note on minor before I get to my I kind of got two lists, and I'll give them both to you two for the price of zero. Um, Miner might be a starting pitcher in Texas, uh, according to some reports. And so if that's the case, well, you're hedging your bets a little bit, paying $28 million over three years. You're not just saying, well, we hope he's one of the, you know, premier setup men or, or good closers in baseball at 7 or $8 million a year. It's more like, okay, let's hope this works out on a starter's contract. And if it does, good deal for us. If not, we sort of have that fallback option where we think he can be a pretty good reliever. So that's an interesting contract. I just I don't think it's going to really set the relief market. Um, but yeah. yeah, but but Mike Miner wasn't the top reliever available, and I guarantee you there will be some that get more money this winter than than his three year deal. And my two lists I sort of separated into a couple because you mentioned uh, before the break about my trade candidates the guys that I thought um, the Twins should be calling on, led by Brad Hand, of course, in San Diego. But the free agents are a little bit different because there are a couple of tiers, and I put it into tiers of safe bets, guys who've been closers before or have that back-end relief experience, and I think you'd feel pretty good about plugging in as your closer next year. And then I have another list that, that maybe it's more fun to talk about, Maybe it's two different podcasts, but I call them lottery tickets. Guys who are, they've shown some promise, some sign that they could be a good closer or at least, you know, back-end reliever, sort of that relief ace role. But, man, you're not going to risk $15 million a year over multiple years for one of these guys. So there's more upside available in those deals, um, but the safer plays are going to have a much higher floor um, it just depends which you're interested in if you're the Twins. And, heck, I might be tempted after going through all these names and doing the analysis of the trade candidates and stuff, I might be tempted to go trade for somebody and then try to take a flyer on one of these lottery tickets and see if I can get two good arms to go to the back end of my bullpen. Enough with the suspense. I got a drum roll for you. I, I know it. <laughs> the list starts with a guy we talked about two months ago, Wade Davis. He's just he's the best reliever available. Um, I, I think you could pick Nitz with, boy, you really want to pay him, you know, Mark Melanson money, four years, sixty to sixty-five million. Ooh, that's you're gonna have to swallow hard to pay that. But 
he is the best uh, in terms of track record, in terms of success and strikeouts and pressure situations and closing big games. You're not going to do better than Wade Davis. Right. Uh, and I would I would add this to the Wade Davis conversation, and, and this is from Thad Levine on the on the Scoop podcast. He learned a lot listening to the Scoop podcast uh, on a regular right. basis. He said when asked about uh, specifically about long term contracts for starting pitchers, he, and Doogie said, "What you know, six years? Would that scare you on a starting pitcher?" And he said, "Let me answer it this way." There are going to be times, depending on where we are in the winning cycle, where we're not going to be looking to win the transaction from an A to Z standpoint. Like we're, we know that if we sign a contract, uh, if, if we're ready to win right now and we were to sign someone to a long-term contract, we know there may be consequences and punishments down the road, but we might throw caution to the wind to some degree in order to stack our chances right now. Uh, Is he talking about Joe Maurer? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I don't know if and he stopped short of saying that that's where they're at right now. My yeah. guess is probably not quite yet. But if Wade Davis is part of the conversation and say, you know what, a four year deal for sixty million long term might be a bit risky because if he's not quite the same guy at age thirty five that he is when he signs the contract, then you might be in trouble. But per Thad Levine's comments, if you know, if they think they can win a World Series at the front end of that deal, then they might not worry as much about the consequences toward the back end. That's right. Much like the Detroit right. Tigers with Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder, even though that didn't get yep. off with a championship. Well, and I like the analogy that he said uh, they're in a hyper-competitive industry, and the goal is to win, and by that he means a World Series. The goal isn't to have an award for the most creative and prudent front office at the end of the year. Right. I thought that's... that's it's charming because that is that way, but it's also right. I mean, we get caught up in like, oh, did they win the deal? Is this a good deal for them? Or Listen, every team is trying to do the same thing, and efficiency is an important part of that. But ultimately, there's one team that goes home happy at the end of the year. And so you can say all you want about you know, the Dodgers' team-friendly contracts and stable of prospects bubbling up to the top led by a guy named Cody Bellinger and like this great – uh, Seeger's in that uh, in that group as well, but this like great situation that they seem to have on their hands. But who won the World Series? The Houston Astros. So it's like this constant tug of war I try to have with like, is this a smart deal, and is this the right deal? When you said that you didn't think this applies to this year, I kind of agree with you. It sounded to me like almost some foreshadowing to the super free agent period that's coming up 12 months from now when guys like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado hit the market. Uh, I'm not saying the Twins are going to sign either or both of those guys. In fact, I'll predict it right here. They won't sign both of them. But it seems to me like the Twins are in a spot now where they can add to this core, try to make the playoffs again this year. Man, AL Central's a tough stretch, and the wild card just got a lot harder with Otani going to the Angels too. But try to go back to the playoffs this year, and then you then you are in that spot where guys like Sano and Buxton and Boreos are sort of entering their primes, and it's like, okay, we've got some money, a lot of contracts coming off the books. Joe Mauer's twenty three million off the books. Now let's go, let's go spend some really big money in the in the you know mega free agency period that everyone's predicting right now. Um, I don't know that to be true. It's just what my mind jumped to when Levine was talking about that. Um, 
where you are in the winning cycle and how that affects your ability to spend big dollars. Yep. So Wade Davis was the first guy on your list. I don't think Wade Davis is going to sign with the Twins this week or anytime this offseason. It would be awesome. I don't think he's going to. So uh, what are some other options? Yeah, the rest of the safe bets list, I'll just go in order. If there's anyone you want to pick out and talk about, um, feel free to just stop me. But the rest of the safe bets that I'll be publishing to 1500ESPN.com tonight, start with Greg Holland, move on to Brandon Morrow, your guy Addison Reed, and then my guy Juan Nicasio. Those are the five names, uh, four names after Davis, that I think would be a safe play for the Twins, a safe bet that, yes, you're spending some money to get these guys, but you can count on them to be good. I think you could do worse than to plug them into your closer's role and definitely each one of those five guys would help the bullpen. There's not going to be a ton of surplus value in the contract like you might get with a lottery ticket, but you're also thinking that the floor is quite a bit safer in those investments than going to sign somebody else um, to a bit more of a gamble, go-for-it contract. Uh, you know, I think Brandon Morrow intrigues me the most out of that group. Two reasons why I don't think the Twins wind up with him. Number one, the Cubs are also reportedly in on Brandon Morrow, which means the bidding is going to go up. And uh, number two, he's 33 years old. So I just feel like there's a lot of other options that are younger than Brandon Morrow, even though he might be one of the better options available. He's he's intriguing for sure, but I just think because he's 33 and because the Cubs are in on him and you don't want to get into a bidding war with them necessarily when there's other options, uh, my, my guess is he's going to be crossed off the list. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, as far as being comfortable with any of those options as the best reliever in your bullpen, the answer is for sure yes. Yeah, I think I think Morrow's probably the third best reliever available. Um, you can you can take an issue with any one of these guys and the multiple millions of dollars in the multiple years they're definitely going to command. But you know, if money were no object, I'd line these guys up one, two, three. It'd go Wade Davis, Greg Holland, and Brandon Morrow. So I don't know if they're gonna. Take a plunge into those waters, but those are kind of my safe bet names. And I'm not done with the column on lottery tickets, so I don't know if that that'll probably publish Sunday to open the winter meetings, I'm guessing. But that column is going to be, I think, a lot of fun to write because in this column, you're basically you're hoping, okay, either a second half performance that jumped out or like he's only got a one year track record after being a pedestrian pitcher for his entire career you're hoping to catch lightning in a bottle that's a pretty interesting route to go especially if you're the twins and you think that you're better at identifying those candidates than other teams that might be a nice little market inefficiency to go try to take advantage of uh, Brian Shaw is the one that stands out in my mind because yep. of his connections with Derek Falvey in Cleveland uh, he's he's 30 years old, I want to say, and uh, and just he would he would add a new layer and element to your bullpen, and it would make it better instantly. The only hesitation I would have, he's been in the league for seven years now. I believe he was with Arizona for the first two years of his big league career, and then five years with Cleveland, and he has been a horse. He's actually yeah. led the major leagues in games pitched three of the last four years. And it's pretty likely he's going to cost you twenty-five to thirty million dollars over a three-year contract, with a lot of wear and tear. Yeah, this is the thing with everybody on this list. There's always going to be a yeah, but I'm going to give you. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six good relievers, and I'm I'm intentionally leaving a good reliever or two off of this list. These are guys who you'd say, yeah, he's probably an eighth inning guy next year, or. 
yeah, if you strike out on your other options, maybe he's your closer going into next year. But there's always a but with with every one of these six guys on this list. And Shaw, it's uh, durability. His durability hasn't been a question in the past. But as you know, Phil, teams aren't paying for your past performance as much anymore as they are for your future performance. And I'm guessing there's going to be some teams scared by the fact that, like, is his arm going to break in half at some point during this next contract? Yeah. Um, so Shaw was number two on my list. Number one is a guy you might be familiar with. He was probably on the Twins when you covered the beat. Anthony Swarzak had himself a nice little year and could be an interesting lottery ticket. He's at the top of my lottery ticks list. That's an interesting one. I think for a lot of Twins fans, it's hard to escape your previous opinion of Anthony Swarzak. Now, did yeah. Did he go? He went overseas for a year. Did he go to the KBO or was it uh, the Japanese Pacific League? I don't actually know. I, I in my head it was KBO, but I, don't hold me to that. I, yeah. I'm not confident about that. And you know what's funny? I know that before Swarzak left the Twins and then wound up bouncing around and then going overseas, I know that Glenn Perkins and some other pitchers in that clubhouse were trying to get him. To, to ramp up the strikeouts to figure out a way to get an out pitch or because he used to you know he used to pitch a lot of innings and he was a good mop up guy for the Twins but he was always in that five and a half strikeouts per nine range and uh, I know Glenn Perkins for sure was trying to explain to him the value of missing more bats and boosting those totals up and now you look and I think he finished with like ten strikeouts per nine innings as a reliever last year and mm-hmm. he had some crazy scoreless streak going for uh, for two months so. Again, if they made that signing, a lot of Twins fans would be like, wow, our big splash was Anthony bleeping Swarzak, but he is a different pitcher now than he was when he last wore a Twins uniform. Yeah, I mean, he's in the top echelon in terms of relief strikeouts. He's He ran a 30% strikeout rate last year, and that's really good. He's also, you know, not like a lead leaguer, uh, league leader or anything like that, but... He's ramped up his swings and misses. He's ramped up his velocity. Very different pitcher from the guy that you know from coming in in the third inning and trying to get you to the seventh to save the bullpen. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to work for sure, but I think some team could get a nice little value deal on Anthony Swarzak, sign him to a two-year gig and, and say, all right, let's see if last season was a blip or if this is really who you are as a pitcher now. I think he's got to be like 30 years old. I, I should have checked that. I but above, I think he's up even higher than that. 32 here on his stats page. So, like, yeah, you're not expecting to go get a five-year deal for this guy and plug him in as an all-star closer. But crazier things have happened uh, to signing somebody to a two- or a three-year deal on sort of a you know mutual risk-reward contract wouldn't necessarily have to pay the big dollars to get a guy like that, but um, he could be some team's closer next year. So he's an interesting name to watch. I'll give you the other four, too, if any jump out to you. Joe Smith, our old friend Pat Neshek, Tommy Hunter, and Jake McGee. Those are all guys that, for one reason or another, either had a very good year last year, but not much of a track record, or are getting up there in age, or only recently became sort of a fireballer, and you're wondering, how's that going to hold up? 
there's always a yeah but with these guys, but each one of those could make an interesting and uh, an underrated free agent signing this winter. I love it. That's a good place to stop for two reasons. Number one, the winter meetings are upon us, and so we'll see what happens. And number two, this guy right here has to get to his first holiday party. So Nice. Right. Go put on your ugly Christmas sweater, and if you need to borrow any from me, uh, well, I don't have any ugly Christmas sweaters, so you're on your own. You just have ugly everyday sweaters. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 